Hold your head up where we are, we got a whole world to win In the honor of our fallen fighters and future generations It might not be easy, no, but may the tears start to flow Get up, look in the mirror and say I'm gonna be me everyone it's russ welcome to our pride panel for pride week uh we had a few audio issues and a few other issues so the audio might not be the best but i've done my best editing it to try and fix it uh so i hope you enjoy uh this panel is called ttrpgs and queerness designing world building and gaming as lgbtq plus people our goal for this panel is to educate and discuss those three big pillars of TTRPGs and how our experiences as LGBTQ plus people informs the work that we do and how it affects us as part of this community. I'm joined by plenty of guests here, uh, some very wonderful people. So if everyone could please introduce themselves using their names, pronouns, and what you do in the TTRPG community. Who would like to go first? Um, I can take the lead on this next one. Hello there, everybody. I'm Angela. I use she, her pronouns. I am uh, a bit of a pack of all trades in the community. I sort of do uh, work on a server. I do uh, work on a Discord server for Welcome to the Party Twitch channel, where I also stream currently uh, an all-Bimpok crew playing in the Numenera system in a homebrew world called Erevin, and where previously I also worked with the all-Bimpok crew uh, who uh, played through a homebrew uh, originally 5e setting, but I'm kind of expanding that a little bit out. So I've mostly a homebrewer and mostly a world builder and occasionally input of the various angry trans and queer variety. So that's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go next. <laughs> Hi, I am Mariam. I use they, them pronouns. And I, in addition to being the newest cast member of Prison Pals, I am the GM for Mosafers, which is which was originally just a campaign setting, but we're now working on making a game design. Yay! Uh, I'm Kira McGran. I'm a queer non-binary game designer in Columbus, Ohio. I design tabletop role-playing games. Um, my pronouns are... I don't have pronouns right now. And um, I've designed uh, a cozy den, which features lesbos snakes during wintertime doing domestic things. And um, Something is Wrong Here, which is my love letter to David Lynch movies. Uh, I can go next. Um, I'm Lucian Khan. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a tabletop game designer. Um, I live in Brooklyn and I um, am gay and trans and I um, have designed a bunch of games, including uh, my newest game is Visigoths versus Molgoths, which is a um, comedic um, tabletop game with a lot of bisexuals. And I guess I'm last. Uh, hello, everybody. I am Leonie, also known as Gloss and Gadgets. I go by my proper noun as my pronoun, so that's Leonie Leonie. 
sometimes it gets weird grammatically. Uh, as for what I do, I'm the great golden stag of Gold Heart Gaming. I, I am the producer and runner of that channel where we focus purely on 100% agency stories and narrative roleplay games. And we are so glad to have you all here. So let's start with an easy question. Sashay Away from our Discord asked, what are some of your favorite queer tropes slash archetypes, and what are your least favorite queer tropes slash archetypes? Okay, my first favorite, Tank Wife. Uh, always Tank Wife. I'm, I'm, I'm really big into Tank Wife. Um, my least favorite, that's, that's a hard one, because I think, I don't think I've encountered an LGBT trope yet that I've not liked because you don't really see them that often um, unless they're used to unless they're like the butt of the joke I guess uh, LGBT plus uh, LGBTQ plus uh, being the butt of the joke would be my least favorite thing the the comic relief like that just has no place <laughs> I think I, I I have I think one of my favorites is just it comes from a general relationship trope that I love which is uh, which a friend uh, found a comic for describing perfectly, which is um, it's when you have someone who physically is comparatively small and someone else who is like comparatively bigger. But the dynamic I particularly love about that is when the smaller person is like the instigator and like the one raring for a fight and the bigger person is like absolutely like tender, kind-hearted and wonderful, but will also like mess you up entirely if you like hurt any of their friends. And I love seeing that in like a shipping a romantic sort of context, because I think that's just such a wonderful like I've met too many of those people. Too many of them are my friends. So I'm just like it makes my heart warm. And I think the one that it's become less of a, like, it feels hurtful and is more just it annoys me is whenever there's the trope of any sort of media where there's just one of us. Like, there's we're the one best friend to the main character. I'm like, oh, yeah. if you've ever been around a crowd where one of us exists, there's like seven of us like scattered throughout the crowd or like 10 of us all in one section, like we're we're we are not bigfoot and we are not like a sasquatch or something we we exist in like whole hives partially because we kind of all know each other oh uh to piggyback on that the whole sort of like gay best friend is also that anytime anyone is queer and especially with uh mask uh presenting is the you know floppy wrists and a lisp and just docking like everything is like sex 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 and while that can be true that's not the only way we present um i think my favorite is um the good guys who are straight coded are actually the bad guys and the villains who are actually queer coded are actually the good guys, um, which which is always fun. Um, and I think my least favorite, uh, just because it annoys me personally, is the um, if trans men appear at all, they are either like roid rage, like agromaniacs, or like completely like uwu eyes small soft boys and no like possible thing between those options 
Sorry, you lost me. Just you lost me at Ubu. <laughs> That's how you say it out loud, right? Yeah, no, you no, don't. actually don't know. <laughs> I just think of it as like, you know, DuckTales. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> that is that is now how I'll think of it all the time yeah. now. <laughs> DuckTales just became like a hundred percent more like more gay and I'm okay with this. Yes. Uh, uh, I think I'm a sucker for the the genderqueer sad aristocrat trope. Like uh, you know, the the sad vampire gay boy or uh, you know, the sad butch lesbian sword sword lesbian wearing long coats, you know, like that ridiculous. I love it. I'm a sucker for it. In any genre. Any genre. Um, least favorite? I don't know. Uh, I, I'm I'm hard-pressed to dislike a gay trope just because I'm happy the trope is even there most of the time. Um, but probably probably the the sad the on the flip side, the the sad sad ending lesbian story, right? Like uh, there's so few happy ending lesbian stories. Whenever there is one, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> when you're designing your own game system i'm not a game designer i've never designed a game but how has your sort of design process been like when it comes to things like a cozy den there is very clearly queer influences there how have you changed the systems changed the worlds change your design work to alter the way the system works and break from the norm and keeping with like the queerness, the inherent queerness of the worlds that you build. Yeah. With lesbian snakes, it's like, I think, I think when I started designing games, I don't know, forever ago, uh, I just decided I was going to put in as many things as I liked as possible. And that included like as many, um, you know, gender and queer things that we don't see in in other games and so I just decided to kind of do that constantly um because it's important to me and that that representation is there and also that's what I like and want to play (laughs) um but it does mean that they become niche uh and the you know while while there's an audience for people like me who want to play these games, they are it is smaller than a lot of like larger, more generic fantasy games, right? Um, and it's like less visibility. Uh, so, so it's it's a little weird. Um, I I both I, I mean I wouldn't design it any other way, but it definitely means that my games will probably always be kind of a little outsider and indie in nature. Um, I definitely you know in addition to like packing my games with like 80 million queer NPCs. Um, like I definitely feel like I'm always doing a calculation of like, how do I put tons of queer content and trans content into this game um, so that it's there and it's available and it's rich and it's visible while also making the game playable and accessible for people who are not part of any of those cultures, right? Because I, I, I don't tend to design games that are specifically targeted to like, Oh, you have to be queer to play this. Um, which I think there's definitely a market for, right? I think those can be very interesting and cool. Um, but that doesn't tend to be the way I design. Um, and I, I do tend to want, 
um, my games to be playable by like anybody who thinks they're interesting at all. Um, so I, I feel like I'm co- kind of constantly doing this weird um, like perception juggling thing where I'm like, how do I really put this content into the game and make it um, like what I want to do and not water it down and not like straight wash it, but also make it something that uh, if you are straight and you don't know anything about any of this, um, you can still play and do it respectfully. So um, that's, that's, I think, something I'm always thinking about. Yes. Do you, the way that I do that is I try to tie it with genre. And I think you're yeah. Mallrats, or not Mallrats. <laughs> 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 An easy mistake. It's very 90s. Mallgoth um, game kind of does that. Like it ties in like goth yeah. culture with queer culture, which is like an easy, like, uh, not easy, yeah. but um, like an obvious pairing. Um, yeah, it's a natural fit. Yeah, natural fit. It works really well. Yeah. Um, and so it's the same with like, I did that with um, like I made a noir lesbian game. So it's like you could be into noir or femme fatales and maybe lesbians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and something is wrong here is like low, an undercover queer. It's like David Lynch, you know, but also identity crisis and, you know, these other themes that are queer without being overtly queer. I think that's a smart way to make it more accessible. Yeah. yeah. And and the way I sort of have been and I'm still learning all sorts of things every day. Um but a lot about what Serzamine is doing at least in the world building stage was to be inclusive but also to kind of decolonize even what queerness is in South Asia because it always existed. It's there. Um like you know, even though somehow the one, if you if you reduce South Asia to a couple of things, the Kama Sutra always pops up as one. However, it it's not just a different moves playbook or like a manual. It's about how, like, it's it's etiquette about courting, about love of a lifestyle, of where love is part is included as part of your overall thing and there is like explicit chapters on homosexuality and uh queerness and um you even see those in temple carvings um in in some of the older temples and funny enough a lot of the rigidity that has happened was because of victorian british raj coming in putting a whole bunch of things uh, the creation of section 371, sorry, 377, which only last year got repealed, whereas it uh, got struck down in Britain in the 70s. And and things like that. And just, I'm going a little history heavy here, but that's where a lot of my research comes from on being like, um, yeah, even though society says this is not uh usual or this is not uh this is something that is different it's like no 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 it's always been there people have actually outlawed it that's why it feels different i think when i think about from the perspective of like world building if we treat that just more broadly as just like lore and such and and we treat and we go from that and this is going to be as Mariam does the uh, history buff sort of thing, I'm going to do my double psych uh, philosophy major thing in this moment and say that I think part of what you also have to look at is somewhat like 
people can think of as useless questions, but are very important to something like game design. When you ask something like, who is supposed to be treated as the hero? Who is supposed to be treated as revered? Who is treated as normal or who is normalized? It might be a better way of putting it for when you're building the worlds in this. And if your worlds start from the premise of like the richness and focus of humanity starts from a place of saying a queer person and all of their complexity is who just our everyday person is and that normalizes a sense of like the system is not in many ways necessarily trying to be quote-unquote like lgbtq like affirmative or friendly but it is because it starts from the premise of these people are automatically your base starting human because a lot of the system a lot of the systems that have inspired me so mainly like fight like dnd 5e or um Numenera or Dungeon World or like a few other ones that I've liked and other things that I've started to look into is I've expanded my like TTRPG sort of library of interests and influences. A lot of them I've thought about when you're running a game from the GM perspective and how you build out a system and how you even hack a game because that's one of those things that I think people miss that my partner reminds me of a lot of the time is that even when you're hacking a game or tr- or playing around with different elements of it, that's doing game design. That's doing elements of tweaking things. And when you tweak a game at even just those most basic formats, you're ans- you're doing different you're going about different ways to answer a question of who counts as human here? Or who counts as revered? If you have this grand fantastical world that the very basis is, oh by the way, gods who are revered in this place, yeah, none of these none of these beings are straight. And that affects sort of the way that the cultures cultures plural not even just culture capital c singular but cultures plural spread out and you create the vibrancy of who a person joining that system or looking into it might want to play that's very queer design to me like queer becomes less about just like there's a wife cup there's a couple right there who live happily together it's like yeah that's an element another element is this is weird to to bring up in a queer conversation, but I think it fits like socialized medicine or people don't worry about capitalism because it doesn't exist in the same format here. Or people have a sense of relationships where family structures last for multiple generations in a particular area for a long period of time. Those are all questions about uh, thinking about your world and building out the system and the world in which people enmesh themselves intentionally or not when they're creating or playing around or hacking a game. Those are all very queer things to ask and queer things to do in how you answer them. And pretty much my answer has been to like, if there's gods, they're all very gay. If there's cultures, capital plural, they don't focus on aspects of capitalism as much, or they don't focus on notions of what are the profane things so much as like, who's, who's the focus here? Who do people feel like they're going to step into the shoes from? I just start from they're they're all really queer, really gay, really trans. That's who you're stepping into shoes from. And oddly enough, we're not that different from other people. Just to piggyback on that and um, to mix uh, race into it as well, as uh, Miriam so beautifully put into it. So I'm of Caribbean descent. I'm a Jamaican and St. Lucian mix. Um, and one thing that is known in Jamaica is obviously the very strong 
anti-gay presence that there is in the culture and the music and, and, and everything else. And, you know, one easy way to go, oh, it is religion, Christianity that has propagated that. But also it, it's important to look at misogyny because it really does stem from what makes a Jamaican man a man. Well, a Jamaican man is strong, a Jamaican man has a lot of sex, uh, and all these other kind of ingrained cultural ideas of what a man is in, in Jamaican culture. Um, and thus it kind of led to, well, how Jamaicans then view uh, uh, gay and lesbian people, um, and trans including on top of that. And because queerness goes against those ideals, which are misogynistic, it then changes um it, it it changes how people view what is strong what is weak what is you know and, and so on and so forth um so the way that i usually do that is i'm really big into matriarchal societies um and flipping that on its head because i'm like okay what if desirable traits were not being muscular and fighting and having lots of sex I mean, I'm ace, so, you know, that that's a subject I tend to avoid. <laughs> but it, um, and when you flip it on your head, you start getting very interesting and unique compositions that is not just about packing as, as, as many um, of the rainbow into your story, but also fundamentally, as, as you said, Angela, fundamentally looking at the structures that be, and by changing one small thing, it has this cascading effect that, all of a sudden, naturally, you start filling in uh, who these people are and how they feel just by changing something small, whether it be um, how they view uh, masculinity or femininity or how they um, view uh, religion and, and so on and so forth. So that, that's, that's ten, kind of like how I kind of go about it. I kind of look at our society and then think, what if that was just flipped? And, and it just has this huge cascading effect uh, in my mind. I mean, some people might go other places with it, but in, in my mind, it goes to positive places. And, and that's kind of like how I, how I go about, uh, <laughs> not necessarily designing, but uh, by world building. So sticking on the topic of world building in a similar vein, um, Steve Kenson on Twitter asked, when you have queerness, queerness is very much seen as otherness in our world. So when you're world building, how is the experience of queerness in a non-heteronormative world? How much of queerness and queer culture is rooted in our own experiences with an oppressive heteronormative overculture? How do you balance the desire for a wish-fulfilling, queer-phobic, free world with accurate representations of the lives that people live in our modern world? I don't think you can separate the two. <laughs> uh, like, we live in an oppressive culture that's dominantly patriarchal globally, right? Like... So, you know, you can you can imagine, I think Octavia Butler speaks really intelligently about imagining utopias um, and the uh, kind of revolutionary power that that can give you. Um, you know, you can't you can't um, build a future without imagining a future. 
And so um, if you can imagine how things could be different uh, or how things were different in the past, potentially, you can kind of build upon those ideas to construct something new. Um, and I, when I think about like role-playing games um, and fantasy, fantasy worlds or world building, like outside of a heteronormative culture, um, I think I kind of think about that, like piecing together parts of our past and building it, um, weaving it into kind of new ideas of a utopia type structure that might be in the near future or in the future and how that can kind of be a type of activism storytelling when you're playing the game because you're taking these sci-fi ideas and just applying them to your worldview in general um which i think is really powerful especially among queer communities but other than that i don't know it's it's a little hard to like <laughs> like we don't live in a we live in a heteronormative world so you know, know it's kind of hard to imagine outside of that i think sort of building off of that i think I think the question of like, well, how do you balance like wish fulfillment versus like showing authentic, like acknowledging the like very true suffering of like what our various communities and the overlap that those communities have with other aspects of our identity. I don't want to say it's necessarily a bad question, but I feel like it kind of misses the point because I think sort of building off of what Kira said, I I always remember whenever folks, uh, start getting into a thread or start getting lost and like yeah this is like wish fulfillment what does it do for the now i always remember a piece from uh undergrad that i read uh by i think it was a queer performance artist theory uh man i think it was puerto rican by the name jose esteban muñoz where he has a book i was only ever able to read sections of it called cruising utopia where it builds off of earlier works of his where he talks about this idea of whenever people start scoffing or treating certain ideas or imaginations of the world as utopic they always have this impulse to be like oh that's that's a pipe dream and such that is actually the point of it that is the exact moment where you push on people to ask well why what is so impossible about that looking at the impossible things not present in our world lets us uh, that they could be otherwise that's actually that's an act of acknowledging the suffering in our world while also acknowledging i think the very critical point that many various kinds of activism across various issues whether it's disability activists trans activists uh black uh leftist black radical traditions or just traditions of various modes of activism that always uh have the critical intervention not necessarily in what seems like a divorce space of ttrpgs but always asking a question about our world of saying this could be different. The way that the world is is not automatically inherently this way. This world is built intentionally to be this way. So when we're doing that work in a space where we're like, what does this, what does otherness mean in a world outside of this? Well, we're already trying to look at what that is. We're imagining like, if you have a world where seven generations of family where six different moms are involved and what mom as a title means for a particular subset of a community has just sort of changed over time or it means it's more of a role adopted by behavior that's already imagining something different for what our current world that can only prescribe a certain element of expected suffering a certain level of femininity a certain level of like expectations about what mom is supposed to mean in our world poking at the impossible in things like utopic visioning is acknowledging the 
hopes we have for the future and acknowledging the sadness and suffering that those things can't be real just yet, but they could be. And that's the critical thing that we're work we're doing in trying to focus on those impulses, those utopic impulses. Oh, uh, okay. So some real talk here uh, that any time, not necessarily to this question in particular, but any time there's been sort of this um, actually, um, especially in regards to historic historical accuracy of like, well, this exists and this, uh, you know, sla- slavery exists, um, queer people uh, are relatively new, or, you know, like misogyny is a thing and feminism only began in the 60s or something, you know. I don't know when it actually began, but, um, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, but you realize this is a table where we're all going to have fun we're all here making make-believe. So why can't our make-believe be inclusive? Like, why why are you so beholden to having these um, oppressions play play again and again? Especially if you aren't someone who is marginalized by any of those. Um, And for that, I probably would just send people to Mendez, James Mendez Hodes, who's, like, amazing at covering all of those things. But um, in regards to the question, just like similar to what Angela said and Kira of just it is wish fulfillment and um, we can't make the world better if we can't imagine it better. And if we keep the status quo, well, nothing's going to change. Complete truth. It's not something that I like to incorporate in my games because we're, we're at the table for four hours. Like, we all have jobs, we all have lives. The world is exhaustive, especially right now. It doesn't matter who you are or, or how you're marginalised or, or any of like that. The world is exhaustive right now. And for just four hours, you just want to have a break where everything is fine. And in Goldheart, we have a culture of normality. So gay people are just there, they, they've never been oppressed. It, 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 queerness is not a weird thing, it's not exceptional. It's just normal for everyone. But we still have players that want to go up and tackle these issues because they're important to them. And and one thing that's really important, especially that's coming up in a future game for us, is we have a trans person who's going to work through um, trans identity and helping trans people, but we're doing it by it being coded into were-rats because they saw themselves into were-rats and so they opted in to change the narrative of what the were-rats are, how they behave and they're like no you don't have to eat filth and live in the sewers you're going to come to the surface and I'm, uh, you know we're going to talk about your transformations and, and, and that is not only just healing for the trans person that is attacking that story arc but also it's for anyone else on the outside who doesn't need to have the whole world oppression of how the world treats trans people crushing down in them, like blatantly in their face. It's a very subtle, very unique and very beautiful way of handling a very tough subject just by coding it a little bit. And everyone here knows that especially older tabletops are are coded to the the nine hells um, and and to the roof. Um, And and a lot of our stories is about changing the status quo. 
um and is about you know oh the, oh there's slavery okay there's slavery no no we're going to emancipate all the slaves oh 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 you're keeping all the drow underground no no the drow are now coming to the surface like like <laughs> not to swear but we 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 do like to um uh, uh throw the, the the lore onto the fire and change it into a place that we want our characters to exist because as i said the world is exhaustive and you don't need to have these things in your in your story it's it's tiring i can see how if you're not a marginalized person they probably seem exotic and exciting to you but as a marginalized person who experiences this every day for the whole of your lives you, you don't need it you don't need to be reminded of it you live it you want to you want to go do wish fulfillment which is not necessarily a fair thing you want to go change the status quo and in tabletop you can and so why the hell not i i've been i've been listening to all this um it's all very interesting i think i actually take a very different approach in my own design um which is um you know i'm thinking about what what did i do in my mall for visigoths versus Malgoths? because i have so many you know gay and lesbian and bisexual and queer and trans characters right and um a lot of people of color and a lot of people who have a variety of marginalizations in our real world um but the game's not really about marginalization or discrimination but it's also not like a utopian situation where those things don't exist and I, and i think what i've done is i've just really zoomed in to an ecosystem um, where we're inside of this particular unusual mall, right? And in this particular unusual mall, there's um, just a very like complicated mixed diverse group of people. Um, and the conflicts in this world are just happen to be about other things, right? Um, and, the preoccupations of the people in this world are just slightly different than, well, am I worrying about homophobia or transphobia, right? Which they might be, but that's just not what the story is about, right? It's that the story is about, um, am I going to find a date to the Valentine's Day skate dance, right? Which, if we think about it, right, all of us who are, are queer or trans or any marginalized identities, while we're experiencing whatever marginalizations we're experiencing in society, we also are continuing to experience questions like, will I find a date to the Valentine's Day skate dance? Um, and so I think that that what I've done is um, I haven't created a world where those problems don't exist. It's just that that's not what this story happens to be about, right? So if a player wanted to sort of allude to problems that exist in this person's life related to racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia they certainly could but the game doesn't really encourage you to dwell on that as the focus right it's just not particularly about that so i i think i i've tried to sort of make a balance of well i'm not going to deny the marginalization that we face or the otherness that that people impose upon us but it doesn't always have to be about that in order for there to be marginalized people present in a story so talking about marginalizations and not only balancing like making your worlds how they are some people were asking about creating characters npcs that kind of thing and how you create a character that isn't where you fall. Uh, the specific person asked, like, how do you create uh, LGBT characters who aren't 
your type of LGBTness, like how do you create those characters and keep them honest without making them tropey or harmful to people? Like what sort of resources do you use if you have resources? Um, I know I just spoke, but I can really quickly say um, I I tend to think a lot about um, the advice of my friend and very good game designer, Cleo Yinsu Davis, um, who designed um, a really good game um, called, I always get this wrong, it's the long drive back from Busan, not the long ride. Um, the long drive back from Busan, which is about a, um, a Korean band, it's a K-pop band, and they're drama-filled road trip um it's a great game and um cleo gives this really good advice in the in the notes to the game that um these characters are korean um but don't overly try to make them korean if you're not korean right don't like randomly throw in facts you know about korea because that will be awkward and tropey instead try to focus on these people's motivations and desires and emotions and what is happening in the plot points of the story and ground it in those things um, before you try to get culturally specific. Because we already know contextually, right, that these are Korean, like, teens and young 20-year-olds, um, like, in Korea in a K-pop band, right? So if you don't happen to really know anything about Korean culture or you're not Korean, you can still end up playing a very believable um, three-dimensional character um, by focusing on on things like, you know, emotional reactions to what's actually happening in the story. Um, and uh, that's my starting place. Um, and I find that that advice tends to steer me in a good direction. At least I don't end up going super tropey, um, even if I don't happen to particularly touch on anything specific about the culture that uh, the person and the, the character that I'm playing is a member of. Um, so that's sort of my starting place. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, there's also this thing, there's this thing in role-playing games which is kind of weird, where people um, will... <laughs> Even though role-playing games are about playing someone other than yourself, um, people will often be uncomfortable playing marginalized characters, um, especially if they're white dudes. Um, or they'll think, oh, that game is about lesbians. I'm not a lesbian, so that game is not for me, which is so weird to me. Like, <laughs> are you a dragon? <laughs> like, probably not, but you have likely played a half-dragon in D&D or something, right? Um, so I, I think it's just about, um, like, right, norm normalizing, uh, identities that are other from you, um, being aware that if you're playing, being aware of your privilege, you know, like, being ready to, um, apologize if you make a mistake, um, if you play too close to a trope, like, look up TV tropes online, it's, like, really easy, um, and this is another reason why I, like, um, uh, more specific games, why I tend to like, uh, like independent games that are smaller, they kind of zoom into a specific setting with specific characters doing a specific thing as opposed to like big open world generic games where anything is possible. Um, because I think in a more specific story, you can kind of zoom into, oh, we're playing a Korean pop band. So you have an idea of like the identities that are there. Um, and the game will often have mechanics um, and support for you inside of that game to kind of help you play those characters and give you more ideas about 
what those characters might be like, what their culture might be, um, and, you know, give you tips to, to help you play, <laughs> um, as opposed to you, like, having to do all this research on your own, or maybe not everyone being on the same page about what that might be. Like, in, there, there's lots of cultural-based indie games, um, like Sagas of the Icelanders is a great example, um, where you just play Vikings, um, and it's like historical Vikings instead of fantasy Vikings. And so there's lots of like historical Viking gender roles and um, uh, character archetypes uh, that are specific to that culture. Um, or night witches, where you play, um, you know, Russian women pilots in World War II. Um, it, it has a lot of Russian culture that you learn as you play. And I, I think that that kind of helps um, ground those identities. For, for players and GMs. Like, I just, I think it gives you more tools. This is a really difficult question. Um, okay, here, here, here's, here's my view. Okay, so when it comes to character building, I, I always start backwards. I always start with the history. What did this person do that made them the way that they are today? And maybe it's because I'm ace and obviously things like sexuality and and fancying people is, 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 is at the back of my mind that I don't believe that what genitalia you have or who you choose to express romance with should be the core of who you are as a person um, because there are many facets to a character and while being LGBT uh, you plus especially in this modern day affects how you view the world because of as it's been said at several times throughout this podcast um you know we we live in this oppressive society therefore we have to shape who we are and sometimes hide it for a very long time or we're not accepted um in our various other segments of community but it's not the complete encapsulation of your heart who of who you are there was this um, great video um, from Now TV about um, I'd like you to get to know me before you call the cops. And it, it's a black man in front of a camera. It's very emo uh, emotional, especially at this time uh, as this uh, uh, podcast was recording. And he just shares things about himself. And, and he's like a big strapping uh, black uh, masculine man uh, with dreadlocks. And it turns out that... Um, he hates spiders and he cries at old yellow and um he's very religious and he loves baking and a lot of these things you would probably say well that's completely separate to what i think blackness is or what being a man is but it's still encapsulate on who he on, on who he is as, as a person so that's kind of like why i like to look at history and, and be like, okay, well, what are the events that led up to the beginning of this adventure that shaped this person that I want to play? Um, what do they like to do to have fun? Um, um, when, when they think no one's looking, what is it um, that they're doing? What is the expression on their face? And before you even get into things like race or, or, um, or sexuality or even skin colour, you can form a person on interests, on beliefs, on on fears, on hopes, on dreams, and 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 they're the things that that I tend to do. And 
even if you do stumble into a trope because it's it's what you know or, or what you you experience in the world via through media or, or or something else you still have a unique individual there because you've built them from a place that doesn't focus on these things i think to address the specific question of like how do you avoid the just magic wand that they change genders and now they're tr- they're trans by nature of that moment i think the first question you have to ask yourself is what is your conception of transness is that is that idea of that oh they just happen like that's the first thing you have to address is what are your assumptions to sort of turn it back on the person giving the question but sort of folks who are asking that kind of question of like how do i respectfully do these sorts of characters well i i tend to have like two kind of answers one is find the uniqueness of people that leads you back to their similarities because if I, if I paint you a scenario, and Mario will know this kind of scenario because I do this a lot with food in my games. If I tell you, you hear a lot of raucous music in the background. Uh, there's this very strong scent of cumin and oregano and basil in the air. Uh, there's various sort of sort of, uh, ceramic potted containers that are filled with soup. and uh, or, or there's these uh, more plastic kind of massive containers that have had dried they've had fruit that's just been soaking in water and maybe vinegar for weeks that to me is a particular market scene like in mexico that i've had happen but for other folks it's like well there's nothing very particular about that it's like yeah that's kind of the point after a certain point the particularities of our experiences also remind us of the aspects where we all overlap like trans people are not such like alien concepts that we are impossible to understand so that's one thing is just try and remove that i think intentionally impose distance between yourselves and the kinds of characters you're creating because often their unique experiences speak to a lot of the same insecurities we all have like i get super insecure like being real talk like about my voice a lot like about its pitch about how people register it as feminine or masculine that's not a weird uncommon thing not just for trans folk but for other cis people some folks are like oh i have too husky a voice some people are like my voice is really nasally or something like that it's not particular but it still speaks to my experience that is a very trans thing but it's also not that uncommon and i think all of those different things that fleshing out a person is sort of the thing that gets missed when you try and treat creating npcs as just throw a quality on someone like yeah sometimes that works if you're just like there's this really belligerent like male person who just stops by every now and then like that's a way you could do someone if you're just using them for a moment but if you're trying to create a person like you have to think about all of the moments of that person because when you do the whole oh hand wave they're just trans now you miss all the moments of was i right about this was did this make sense to me or like yeah i have i've had a girlfriend for like 10 years and like i was as her husband after that and now i'm her wife and it's weird and it's awkward like those are those the weird awkwardness of trans life or like dating life or queer life that like those are insecurities people have just in the relationships yeah it's a very trans specific one about suddenly like going through a transition but also like if you just came out in the middle of a relationship or if you're like wow i've had a lot of different things change about my life that's the complexity of a character that could end up being really tropey but sometimes a trope is okay like if you gave a full complexity to a person 
sometimes we're tropey. Sometimes we are like the terrible, like Casanova-ish, like bi person. There's nothing wrong with that person. Also, some of us are just like I have had one partner for 15 years. I look at everybody, but I've never really been that interested in anyone else because I found this one person. That's fine. There's enough room for how we build worlds and how we create characters that you can have all of those people. It's multiplicity. It's uniqueness of those characters, but it's fleshing them out and not just making it, I have a moment of a person who just said they're a different gender. Great. How do they think about it? Are, are they monitoring their dress every day? Are they thinking about their voice? Does it bother them? Are they Do they feel a little awkward about how they walk? What moments give them euphoria in terms of their gender expression? Like, do they just feel like they're selling at a karaoke bar and you never get to see that from that character? Like, there's a lot of these different moments outside of just the, I'm trans now, which I've almost never heard anyone who's trans ever actually make that statement. We're all just perpetually existentially gender anxious is more of what I've seen. And the, or we're like, yeah, today's great. Trans, trans is awesome today. And then the, then the euphoria is. And the gender forecast for today is, I feel ladylike. The forecast for today is uh, bright sunny skies and a nice dose of uh, gender euphoria, everyone. Back to, back to you, Miriam, for our report on uh, other shenanigans going about. Stepping away from that topic, um, when you're looking at media, systems, games, entertainment, to pull inspiration from for the things you work on, whether that be worlds, game design, characters, playing at a table, whatever it is within the community, what is some things that you find yourself drawn towards that like help you build the worlds that you've built, or the characters you've built, or the games you've built, all those sort of things? What is something that catches your eye in a piece of media that makes you go, yes, that, I like that? Uh, so for me, it's super, super easy. Other non-Eurocentric worlds. <laughs> other decolonized worlds. Other, like, Swordsfall, for example. Anything Angela does. Um, I had the fortune... I had the fortune of being a player for a long campaign, uh, Adventures in Agni, and... You've inspired me. I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people. Um, and just all of those things inspire my world to make it as rich and diverse and to really focus on myself, uh, like on, sorry, not myself, more like on my culture and my community and my roots. Um, and some of the early drafts of Sarzamine still sort of had the antagonist as big colonizer baddie. And then I realized I don't want the game to focus on that because then what ends up happening, and especially when I included a community that was essentially colonizers that had lived long enough on the island, oh, sorry, on, on the continent. And I was like, it's still focused, focusing on those people and their conflict rather than this world. So the minute I scrapped all of that altogether, suddenly it was like it was very clear. And I could focus on folktales, on um, certain uh, lore superstitions, on like 
Haunted houses is apparently a thing, and that's totally my design aesthetic, because I keep doing haunted houses over and over again. Um, and and it felt so much more richer when I focused on the community rather than on the colonizer part of decolonizing. That's a really interesting point. Um, f- from myself uh i actually consume a lot of foreign television um just because i I find british tv really boring um to which the americans uproar and be like hey down to nabby um (laughs) doctor who um but the reason why i do it is because each culture has a very unique way of telling their own story like, um, just to uh, throw out a few examples, like Bollywood. Uh, Bollywood almost tells stories like poetry epics. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes it's done through songs, sometimes it's done through dance. But when you look at the translation of the words, because obviously I don't speak these languages, they do, they read like poetry, and, it, and it's very, very beautiful. And then when you compare it to, like, Western poetry, sometimes, so, well, the ones that I've watched, I, I have a very, I, I like the um, historical um historical theme so everything i watch is historical uh so it ends up being like reading like a, a historical epic like beowulf um and, and and that's very beautiful um in terms of uh chinese um historical um um shows they have this habit of like okay the first 10 seconds we're going to give you like a whole 30 minute introduction on the history that happened 200 years prior plus here is 30 people uh names and how they're all related to you And then as they continue to tell the story, you find out who these people actually are, how they're all related. And and so by consuming foreign media, it's just kind of like changed my perspective on how, as I live in the West, how I tell stories. And while I may not exactly lift um, the culture, because that would be cultural appropriation, I I, I would look at how they structure a story and be like, I'm going to do it a little bit different this time instead of the very western beginning middle and end you know um or or, um very famously the the cycle of the hero where you know the hero starts on a farm he gets a call to adventure he finds an old wizard uh uh, guide um he goes to fight the bad guy he fails he goes and does training and then he succeeds like that's a very western way of telling a story which you can see uh repeatedly through through many different um western stories but if you look somewhere else in the world the story of the hero is completely different and literally just by lifting the structure you already have something quite new and quite exciting because it's not done it's not it's not been done and overdone in your in your culture um and therefore you have something fantastic and refreshing Um, and that's kind of like what i do but so i i consume a lot of foreign media that i would say that is a really big core to to how I like to do things. Um, I, I can continue on from there. So to the, the original question and sort of the extended media aspect of it, because in terms of systems for inspiration or ideas, uh, I think it really depends on what sort of mood, because uh, I do a lot of hacking for just the one main system I play in, but even for something that I've expanded out with when I'm doing stuff like more fun, like For the Queen or Honey Heist, which are both really great kind of I treat as pickup games because they're relatively rules light. Um, I look at other systems whenever they're kind of quote unquote niche or like very genre specific when I want to evoke certain 
moods and what mechanics in them help build that. Like, if you want a really nice, tense, drama-filled kind of moment, whether it's, like, a heist or it's just interpersonal conflict dealing with trauma over long generations of multiple, like, overlapping queer feels, like, Monster Hearts has mechanics for that that I really love. And uh, even Blades in the Dark and Scum and Villainy, the sense of just stress and pushing on certain moments, those aspects of systems I really love because the sense of this growing uneasiness that's just there, it can help encourage a certain mood. And that's inspiring to me because even if I'm playing in a system that doesn't have those moments, no one's really going to stop me from hacking it at any given point. Like, like really, no, you're not, you're not actually, that's, that's not even, that's just a statement of fact, you're not actually stopping me at any point ever. But in terms of just media in general that inspires me, uh, I would say stuff where tenderness is kind of the focus of how people solve things is interesting to me. But also the moments where, like, even if it's like a post-apocalyptic world, when it avoids the trope of just, like, the Walking Dead effect where, like, we're all deplorable human beings where gray morality suddenly kicks in and where we have still patriarchal focused leadership even though centralizing your leadership into one person with one skill set is a bad idea in a survival setting and actually defeats the purpose of what you set up as a world but that's a whole other thing but thinking about just the kind of media and such that just encourages sweetness and imagines like what uh i think the vibe that a lot of i think the term is like hope punk kind of stuff does where you have this sense of like okay the world is a terrible 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 place how do we create happy moments out of that how do we create moments of liberation of joy of sweetness of tenderness and i'd also say more often than not for me it's not even actually media that i'm consuming it's nature just especially in the times now where the ability to go outside is so limited the few moments where i take walks uh, around my neighborhood like social distancing keeping upheld and having a mask on just being around in the sunshine and taking a look of just the weird vibrancy of life at times that just stands out even more to me during these times a lot of that inspires how i think about mechanically or lore wise for different worlds or just a lot of different things that feel like how did these things interconnect or how do they have hostility but still manage to work with one another and also let's be real nature is really really gay nature is very gay <laughs> nature is really really gay. flowers are really gay look into flower biology i, I learned this recently it's really fun <laughs> All of these things, like, there's so many things about it where people are like, oh, this is not natural. Like, that's a, that's a refrain people will use in relation to, like, our existence as trans and queer people and, like, just LGBTQ plus people as a whole. And it's like, you have not looked at biology. You have not looked at nature. You have not looked at history. There is no discipline that actually validates you that isn't founded on a, like, terrible or erroneous premise. Like, most of the disciplines you look at will at some point be like, no no yeah that's really gay that's just just really gay and it's like oh but this romantic relationship that historically happens it doesn't mean that it's like no but it's still very gay i'm sorry that i don't make the rule that's just that's kind of how it is i think about that i think about nature and i think about just what mood do i want to evoke and a lot of the systems i think about 
sort of drift towards actually PBTA stuff because mixed success is a fun mechanic to have in a lot of ways because it, it most of the time you don't always get your way you kind of get like messiness and messiness is okay to have in a system when you want to encourage that versus like things just worked or things just didn't both are fun I guess I'll go next um uh, I I'm what I'm inspired by is usually heavily influenced by what I'm working on. Like, it's very dependent on whatever I'm making, right? Um, which, uh, you know, and but I'll constantly be, like, I consume consume a lot of media in general. Um, you know, books, movies, music, TV, everything. Art, fine art, everything. Um, but, like, for example... Uh, like, I'm currently working on a game called Fly Softly, which is, um, you play sim monarchs, um, which are basically, like, um, sims in the setting, it's a near-future setting, um, are, um, people who have, like, the DNA of vulnerable creatures, um, so that kind of their two, their, their biology and, and spirit are, in, are infused and mixed together, um, and, this is based on a book that I read a couple of years ago um, called The Camille Stories by Donna Haraway. And Donna Haraway is like thick, uh, you know, academic writing. <laughs> uh, a lot of it's kind of uh, like sh she's an older uh, white woman, as far as I know, and like a teacher and very cool. But um, uh, like, you know, she worked on this project with, like, a bunch of people imagining uh, utopian futures. Um, and this is, like, part of an art project you can take a part of by creating stories or art based on this story that they made. So, like, I'm making a game based on this. This is just, I don't know, it's super weird, right? Like, you can get ideas from anywhere. But, like, I was really inspired by this story. Um, but, like, the other inspirations in the game are, like, you know, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, you know, by Miyazaki, um, Monster Hearts. Uh, you know, by Avery, we all know, and Night Witches, which I mentioned earlier, just based on the mechanics of the game and how they work and how they place characters within a setting and move sequentially through that setting, um, specifically. Uh, the Mushroom at the End of the World, which is another amazing book that talks about um, how mushrooms grow uh, after forests burn. So mushrooms grow in devastation and in ruin. Um, and that book is amazing. It talks about intersections of like Asian American um, immigrants, um, people who are picking mushrooms in the Pacific Northwest, the history of logging in America, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and uh, this amazing documentary, um, which you can download and watch, I think on Amazon or like anywhere streaming called Goodbye Golly Mountain, um, which is made by uh, two um, lesbians um, who are a couple, Beth Stevens and Annie Sprinkle. And uh, she uh, is like, an, they're both activists. Um, but um, so, you know, they, they invented this term called ecosexuality uh, as a type of uh, activism where they're just like, make love to the outdoors and like um they they film they they put on like these huge weddings where they'll go and like marry the moon or they'll marry a mountain or they'll marry a forest and it's like a you know queer performance art piece and uh you know the the documentary is amazing um beth uh it talks about mountaintop removal in west virginia which is like where the game takes place it's one of the settings in my game 
because monarch butterflies migrate from West Virginia to Mexico and back every year, right? Um, so, so it's like very specific, like I'm looking at very specific media, like for that very specific game. And some of it has like intersections with queerness, um, with race, with oppression, um, with ecology, with sexuality, like all those things are kind of mixing together near, near future settings, um, in order to kind of create that, that idea and where I get my inspiration for it. So like, I kind of, I'm kind of, I kind of look at all those things together for that specific setting. Um, and I, I think that's really useful if you're designing games or making things in general is to kind of like figure out, figure out the intersection of things that could potentially inspire you or give you ideas. Um, and then focus on them. That helps me anyway, because then I kind of get in the mindset of this is where, this is, uh, the creative space that these ideas exist in. And that if my mind is there and if I'm, uh, looking at and reading things that are also in that space, then, um, you know, it's a little easier for me to create in that space. So we're starting to head towards the end of the panel. So I'm going to do some lightning round questions. So questions that might be difficult. Keep your answers short if you can. Um, so talking about playing at the table, what are some ways that being a queer person has affected you as a GM or as a player when you're playing in different systems? I'll go first. Um, <laughs> no, I'm all over this. Um, so Gold Heart was created out of pain. I, I'm not even going to pretend that that wasn't it. Uh, pain and revenge. Um, I've experienced a lot in the community. Um, a lot of instances that happened and I wanted to make a place that was mine and a place where people could just be themselves because that was something I couldn't find anywhere else and I success and I successfully did that but also we are so process heavy like it takes months for us to get a new show on the air it's not just a really quick thing for us because we have these processes in place to ensure that the people we invite to the table are you know also, you know, wanting for a place from pain. They want healing. And and that's the kind of place that, that Goldheart has become. Um, and in terms of how it's affected me as a, as a, as a GM, I DM uh, GM shows uh, and games that I want to play in. So the stories that I end up creating as a player, I'm, I'm very hands-off. GM, I'm very big on player agency. Um, the the big analogy that I talk about when I talk about my DM is I see myself as the stage and the walk-on parts, but the script writers and the actors are my cast. And, and I am just there to facilitate whatever it is that they wish to tell and wherever they wish to go. And, and that's pretty much how my life experience has, has changed a lot, actually, of, of how I conduct myself, both in the community I've built, in the community where I exist, in interacting with the community, and also how I play and how I DM. It's just one of those things where it's like, I'm trying to think, I think it's mainly a place to... Um, I'll admit I don't quite understand the question completely. <laughs> I I was I was honestly gonna say like I have never not been 
queer, so I have literally no idea <laughs> how it affects how I am as a player of role-playing games. <laughs> That's completely fair. Like, um, I just don't know. <laughs> so then I actually want to spring off something that Leone said earlier with dealing with uh, bad places, with places that aren't so accepting or healing for you. If you've been at a table and someone has said something, either an offensive statement or a harmful quote-unquote joke, how have you handled that? Whether that is as a player or as a GM or as an observer, what have you done in response to those sort of situations? I've walked. I've literally gotten up and walked right out. And I have no problem with that because it is not my job to make them better. And especially if they don't feel safe or they don't feel like they are listening in good faith, just walk. Um, and as a GM, definitely, I mean, my early days were more of a, I don't know how to respond with this because I'm a very non-confrontational person. Um, but when I did, I basically have no problem shutting things down and being like, hold on, we're going to we're going to stop or we're going to talk about this right here. And walk otherwise. I think there's a lot of uh, microaggressions that can happen potentially in any game that you're playing with friends or strangers. <laughs> um <laughs> And I think that, you know, it's a lot of emotional labor um, to manage that and speak to other people about what they are or bring them up. Um, and I think that um, any, I think about this anytime I play a game, I'm, I'm buying into that potentially happening. Um, and so I kind of prepare myself for that to happen. And it really depends the level of what it is that's terrible. If someone says something hateful, um, which I, I don't think, I don't know, if someone says something hateful, it's like, you know, maybe game over. Um, but I mean, definitely game over, you know, that person should not be in the game. <laughs> like, and uh, hopefully someone is there to help enforce that or everyone at the table is there to help enforce that. Um, but other than that, you know, you can use safety, um, safety tools like the X card or, um, you know, cut and break, uh, you know, other, th you know, you can leave the game, um, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a, diff it's a difficult thing. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're playing with a game with a group of people, anything could potentially happen. <laughs> so as a, as a producer and a showrunner, I, I can share a little bit of a story. I, so outside of my home, I will call it my home because it is, um, I have suffered microaggressions, and yes, like Malik Miriam, I have walked because I'm just like you. You are not worth my time or my emotional labor. I'm gonna leave you over there, and then warn all my friends about you. Um, uh, but it has happened once in my house, and it happened in my house to me, uh, and it wasn't just me. It was also several others in the game, and it's it's my house. And so it's my, it, this is where it becomes my responsibility and it is not what we signed up for, it is not what we planned and therefore instead of walking away it becomes a, a fight, not an actual you know, physical or verbal fight, but I am fighting 
for my table and I'm fighting for the people who have hurt, as I said, made from a place of pain. Um, and, and yes, it, it didn't go well. Uh, that person had a very toxic uh, reaction uh, to it where they just rage quit instead of actually listening. But within the space that I created, I have a lot of mental capacity for people because people do mistakes. I, th I think that's that's something we should know. People do honestly mistakes. I have done honest mistakes. Um, I have uh, misgendered some of my trans friends by accident um and i sincerely apologized about it and uh tried to and instantly corrected the behavior and then i made the mental space within myself to ensure that would not happen again and took steps to correct it and i think that if it's very important to you and you have the the mental capacity the spoons the spell slots however you want to phrase it then it's important that you make mental capacity to listen work on yourself as a person and, and you know as angela has said be kind like the world is hard and and being kind to each other should not be a hard thing it should be one of the most natural things to be kind and compassionate um so even if mistakes do happen i think as long as that person makes the mental space within themselves um and wants to grow and wants to change and is sincerely sorry about it then i don't see a problem with working with that person um to better themselves and obviously not doing the mistakes because sometimes some people are just so centered on themselves that they can know they can't see outside of themselves and how this one joke about orcs suddenly becomes a very massive microaggression and, and so on and so forth i think the the thing that i would like to add in addition to all the many wonderful things everyone else has said is that um, I really wish that in the role playing game, playing world and design world that we had safety tools for social media interactions with our colleagues since we seem to have developed some really great procedures for when somebody says something terrible in the middle of role playing games and no procedures for how we deal with our constant fighting with each other on social media, which sometimes comes from, you know, a variety of misunderstandings, genuine aggression, just people being stuck in their houses for two and a half months during a quarantine and all sorts of other reasons. Um, but I, I find that as um, safety tools have become more commonly used in actual role-playing games, I have had way fewer problems at role-playing game tables, uh, but continue to have the majority of my role-playing game community problems on Twitter or other social media platforms. Um, so that is that is what I am going to throw into this conversation. Maybe Maybe since we're a lot of us are game designers and most of us play role-playing games. Maybe we can make some tools for social media. You know what? I, I, I would suggest people content warning their stuff because then people can opt out of a conversation, especially right now. There is so much going on 
And just people just don't think. They're just like, oh, look at this absolutely horrible thing. And yes, and here's a hundred. I, I follow 1,600 people. So here are a thousand people sharing the exact same sad thing. And I see it several times a day without a content warning. But with a content warning, he just, oh, I'm just going to stick that one word in my mute. Oh, look, it's back to kittens and dice pictures. I'm so happy. Like, <laughs> like sometimes you just need to tap out of those conversations you know so uh lucian you are completely preaching to me right now <laughs> taking me to church <laughs> well, well social media is a malicious design it's it's not designed for us to agree um but I, I have found some luck on uh forums and in discord because there are rules for engagement within private uh you know but it's you know social media anything goes you're talking you're shouting into the public it's, it's bananas it's bananas it's not the best place <laughs> So, one last question then. If you had to make or pick an ideal, your ideal game, what would your game be? Keep it quick. Like a game that exists? No, it doesn't have to be a game that exists. This is your ideal. A gothic vampire asexual romance I would play the heck out of that. Uh, okay, Sir Ian McKellen... And Anthony Hopkins invite me over to dual GM me in a love triangle romance game where they're both in love with me. (laughs) (laughs) So mine is going to be romance and drama through multiple weddings (gasps) attending multiple weddings we love the continuous wedding drama yeah just it just like there's like this is like not just one wedding with like a hundred ceremonies it's like seven of them with like a million ceremonies and you're just going from one to another kind of like um regency era but like daisy weddings and you have to change outfit yeah I don't, I don't even know. Uh, you're you're all, you're all hot lesbian cyborgs um, fighting for the future of you know freedom in your monster high school um, and trying to figure out who's going to prom together. I don't know. <laughs> that is like a mishmash dream that I totally want to watch and play. <laughs> That also just sounds like a really good game, Angela. I I, I think I have two two ideas now. That I think about because think about the media I've been enjoying. Uh, probably something either high fantasy, like either full on cowboy bebop, uh, like space, uh, kind of like scummy kind of folk vibe, the way the scum and villainy kind of runs things just more gay and trans like just feels and tenderness or uh and and, like maybe more options in terms of like mechanically like the way that monster hearts or the way the dungeon world has bonds for between different characters and how that works mechanically to enrich the experience and like fail forward mechanics but there is actually one game because i'm a very bittersweet emotional queer like this is just who i who i am as a person there is one game that I did play 
that I think actually captures a lot of what I want in an emotional game and in terms of improv and building. And it was uh, it was a game where essentially the premise of the game is you start out knowing uh, three key things about a person. You know when they die, you know when they were born, and you know a set of events that you as players figure out uh, along the way. The only main mechanics to it are that you think up like snapshot moments, conversations, or post-mortem interviews with loved ones. And the one rule you have is that you cannot actually focus on the funeral. You have to focus on everything in the time leading up to that person. And it can be any year of their life. And you really only know the cause of death. Like, it's someone's life who ended much earlier than they expected, and you figure out what the cause is. And I think that kind of captures a lot of what I love in this medium, which is that some of the funniest, most tender, most sweet, most ridiculous moments of how we all reflect on our humanity come by when we reflect on some of the most terrible and sad moments of our lives. And the awkwardness and weird dissonance that happens in some of those moments like, hey, I went to a funeral and my sister-in-law still weirdly misgenders me wrong, but I'm aggressively being myself and her kids like me, so she has to deal with me. Like, the just that kind of, this is a real-life experience I've had, by the way. Uh, that kind of dissonance and weird, like, tonal just imbalance. I love that. I love that bittersweetness that captures so much of what's beautiful about telling stories together. Like, that's that that would be my ideal game for like serious me or like emotional me to deal with and the other one would just be i just want really gay trans folk doing space bounty hunter stuff in space i just i just really want gay space space is already really gay but i want more gay more trans space queers in space so that being said uh why don't we do some sign offs uh just Say who you are, where people can find you, and one thing that you're working on. Yeah, so my name's Mariam. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at media underscore junkie. I, you can find me on Prism Pals. You can find me on the Masafers podcast. You can find me on Soul Story, No Show Radio, and soon to be coming Qtopia on Twitch. Hi, I'm Lucian Khan. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Otheogony, which is O-H underscore T-H-E-O-G-O-N-Y. Um, you can find um, games and links to all of my games and where you can find them all over the place um, at necromancy.itch.io. Um, and you can just Google Visigoths versus Malgoths to find that all sorts of places. That's my newest thing. So enjoy it. It's fun. Uh, I'm Kira McGran. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kira Nancy. That's K-I-R-A-N-A-N-S-I. Um, and also on itch.io. And I also have a Patreon. Um, and I'm currently working, my Patreon kind of shows um, what I'm working on behind the scenes um, and like my design process and uh, how things are coming along with the various games I'm working on, usually 10 at a time, always 10 at a time. Um, but I'm focusing on Fly Softly right now, which is the, the Butterfly People game. I can go next. Um, hi there, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this wonderful panel of people. I'm Angela, otherwise known as Phoenix Femme, and a lot of different spaces, gaming and otherwise. Otherwise known as the Philosophem, 
uh, or the Philosophical Femme on uh, Patreon, where I am a, it's been weird to say, a, a professional writer for five plus years now, and I've written anywhere from poetry to articles on an online QTPOC uh, media publication called Art for Ourselves, where I've been a contributor for quite a while. We just had a spring uh, Equinox issue that came out that's my most recent bit of writing processing being trans and mourning my mother's uh, recent passing. And also, I'm, I, this started out as just a random idea tidbit inspired by a music video, but I might actually put this little improv story idea I have where you use a deck of cards to tell a story together about Through the Seasons, a la Winnie the Pooh and the Search for Christopher Robin. And if you want to catch me in the GM seat, uh, playing in the new, uh, running the Numenera system, you can find me on the Welcome to the Party Twitch channel Sunday nights at 8 p.m. EST where I'm with an all-bimpak crew going through my homebrew world of Erovin. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. You're such intellectual, wonderful people, and I'm so pleased that I met you and I got to sit with you. But I am Leone, also known as Gloss and Gadgets, no matter what the social media, because Brandon. Um, and when I'm not uh, DMing or showrunning or just generally controlling everything on uh, Goldheart Group, also found on Twitter at, at Goldheart, uh, heart spelt H-A-R-T, like the deer, uh, G. Um, I'm, a, I'm an editor, um, and I am currently working in uh, AAA Games, where I'm working on some stuff that I can't actually talk about because of NDAs, but I'm a, a AAA Games dev editor during my day job. All right, and I am Russ Wild. You can find me on Twitter at Russ Wildest. I am the GM of Prison Pals, and I have been your moderator for this evening. Thank you all for listening, and have a good rest of your day. Put your head up for you. Put your head up for you. Put your head up for you.